The She Knows It podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land we stand on. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. May we walk beside them as we strive for a future filled with cultural understanding, reconciliation and a voice for justice and treaty. Hello listeners and welcome to the She Knows It podcast, brought to you by Genazano Institute and the Sisterhood of St Vincent's Foundation. My name is Anastasia Drake and I'm a Year 12 student at Genazano FCJ College. This is a platform where I'll be talking with women who work at St Vincent's Hospital with hopes to inspire young people and to give insight into the phenomenal work of the women who work in health. Today, I'm so excited to introduce our Sisterhood Star Philanthropic Executive at St. Vincent's Hospital, Sue Parks. Welcome. Thanks, Anastasia. It's great to be here. We're so excited to have you and so excited to hear about your incredible work at St. Vincent's. But firstly, to start us off and get to know you a little bit better, we're going to put you in our hot seat, which is where we ask you five rapid fire questions about yourself. Okay. Are you ready? (laughs) Far away. Question number one, who do you admire the most? Uh, That's easy at the moment. It's definitely Vladimir Zelensky, President Uh, of Ukraine. For sure, 100%. Number two, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Anywhere in Italy. (laughs) 100%. Number three, what is the first concert you ever attended? Uh, Paul McCartney and Wings. Oh, okay. Love that one. Number four, do you prefer books or movies? Oh, that's tough. I love them both. Uh, Books, I think, though. And lucky last, number five, what makes you laugh? My husband. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing. We really appreciate it. But now let's delve into your position at St. Vincent. So can you tell us a little bit about your role? I'm the Chief Executive of St Vincent's Health Foundation, which means I'm in charge of raising money for the private and the public hospital. Um, And it sounds like a tough job, but it's not. When um, the hospital delivers amazing services, then I have the patients come to me and say, we want to show our gratitude. So it's my role to um, facilitate that and make sure the money goes to a really good cause. Wow, okay. So you work a lot in philanthropy, but a lot of people may not be aware of what philanthropy is. So what does it mean to you? Well, the, the strict definition of philanthropy is the love of humankind. And to me, philanthropy is an expression of that love. So in healthcare in particular, it's an expression of gratitude and appreciation for what people have done for you. Philanthropy to me is beautiful. It comes from a good space, from good people, um, and it enables the service providers and people like me to have an impact in the world that we would not have otherwise. So what does a day in the life of Sue look like? <laughs> well, it starts off with good intentions and plans. So uh, walk the dog, um, go through my I like to do some notes for the day ahead of what I'm expecting, check my calendar, mm-hmm. uh, but then it can dera- get derailed as soon as I come into the office. So there's lots of unexpected things, especially working in health. Mm-hmm. Um, you get lovely stories of people just popping in and wanting to make a donation, but you also get the medical staff coming and sharing amazing, innovative programs they're working on and saying, I want to do this, this is my dream and my vision, uh, do you think someone would give me the money for that? So mm-hmm. the day can be very varied. Five o'clock comes around really, really quickly. Um, 
But the best part at the end of the day here at St Vincent's is when you're walking out to your car or to the car park, you're walking amongst the whole mix of Melbourne. You've got homeless people, Aboriginal people, people with money all coming to St Vincent's for health, for their health care and some help. And it's a great mingling of every aspect of life and it's quite beautiful. If you had to pinpoint one favourite aspect, what would it be? Working with homeless people in every role I've ever had, having an impact on their lives and, and helping them to get themselves out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And here we have a group of gentlemen who gather every day and I've only been here two months but they all know my name. And uh, so I, I would say every lunchtime I've got a hot date, I'm going out to sit with my, my mates in the courtyard and uh, they give me the stories of their lives and um, I listen and I smile and sometimes that gift of the smile during the day is the best thing that happens. That's that's really lovely. So now if we backtrack a little, what was it that made you want to pursue a career in philanthropy in the first place? I don't know anyone who chose a career in fundraising or philanthropy. We tend to fall into it and uh, I fell into it at Sacred Heart Mission. I've been appointed as a PR and media manager and small organisations like that, they can't afford people to do different jobs so you're thrown into the mix and you have to do everything. So I think if I were going into fundraising as a choice uh, coming out of school, I would say study philanthropy. Swinburne has an amazing course so that you understand the motivation. I think the psychology is is really worthwhile too. So Mm -hmm. I think my generation fell into it. But as choosing it as a career, I think there's great opportunities to to understand the motivation more deeply. Wow, okay. So what was the path that, I guess, took you to fall into philanthropy? Uh, Well, as I said, Sacred Heart Mission was the turning point. Meeting some amazing people made me decide that fundraising was more authentic than PR and media. You're not spinning. You're not a marketing guru. You're actually uh, being very authentic. And I think it brings out the best in everyone, including me, including the people who are doing the fundraising. Mm -hmm. It certainly makes you a better listener. And I think Mm -hmm. your emotional intelligence grows within these roles. And nowadays when people are looking at careers and recruiting, EI is one of the most important things they look for. And I think in leadership roles in particular, uh, they're looking at women as having a higher EI and better leadership skills. So as you were learning the ropes, what motivated you to pursue when it got tough? The rewards. Mm-hmm. Uh, just seeing what you can do and the impact. So well, there's some significant programs that I've worked on that really have left an imprint and when I hear about them now I take great pride in knowing that I played my small part. Um, and it's also helping wealthy people don't necessarily know how to make a mm-hmm. difference or how to give money away. It sounds bizarre but sometimes you're just providing that little opportunity for them and, and making it much easier for them to get involved. Mm-hmm. Well, as all of us know, there's always the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to any career. So I'm hoping you don't mind giving us some further insight into these aspects of your journey by telling us a time that maybe you felt under excessive pressure within your role. Yes, there's a few times I felt under pressure where my values have been compromised, um, mm-hmm. been asked to do something that I didn't believe in or I didn't think was authentic. You know, when you, you're asked to go and ask someone for money and push them into an area that they don't want to go, or you accept money from them and then the CEO directs it in a a different direction. So when that's happened, I've had to make a call myself of whether I make a stand or whether I just turn a blind eye. And um, I've, in three instances, I've made a stand and and had to resign. Wow, okay. And that's tough. Yeah, no, for sure. So what coping mechanisms would you say 
that you had in place to support yourself during those tough times? I think family is important and knowing that you're going to walk home and say, I've just resigned from a job and, you know, I haven't got one to go to, um, Mm -hmm. but I had to do it because it was the right thing to do and knowing that your family would accept that and support you in it. Um, The other tough times have just been when work's been really hard and pressured and there's ways to get away from that and release from that and, you know, I said I love books and I do love movies. Those little simple mechanisms to escape and think of something else are really, really important. Um, that and a walk on the beach. You know, I have dogs. I've always had dogs. You can't be oh. cross when you've got a dog in your lap. You can never be crossed with a dog in your lap. That is 100% right. So now I guess, can you tell us a time that you're most proud of? Uh, two instances. One was the development of the L2P program. So that's a driving program for refugees in particular. We started out. So I, I worked with um, Brother of St Lawrence and some funders, in, in particular the RACV. We developed a driving program to um, help uh, ref- refugee African boys, in particular um, East African um, young men, to learn how to drive so that they weren't getting themselves in trouble and they had the family support around them. Um, to get their 100 hours of driving experience up. And that's now a a program that's funded by federal government. And another one was called the Hippie Program, and that was teaching Sudanese mothers of how to teach reading to their preschool children. And that was funded by Telstra um, and then subsequently has become a fully government-funded program as well. So both really successful, but um, I had to really persevere, I think that would be the word, I had the Mm -hmm. money, I just had to get people to believe in the program. So very proud of what that's achieved um, uh, right around Australia, really, because the Hippie Program has a whole range of Indigenous readers as well. So would you say that these times made the career in philanthropy worth it? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's one of those careers that uh, you can't predict each day, let alone each week or month. You're always under pressure to uh, bring to meet your budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is always that the money has to come in. It's not something you just sit and you know have a great time, but it's matching beautiful people with beautiful people, really, and just making it happen. And that's the magical part of it. And the money comes. There's no pressure to ask people for money. I'm not a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just finding the stories and telling the stories. And I, when I talk to people who are new to the sector, young people coming into fundraising. We have the joy of being the best storytellers in the world, of bringing these stories together. Oh, that's that's really incredible. So do you feel that there are any challenges, particularly for women entering this field? It's a strong female field. So I think the main thing women have to do is support each other in the health mm-hmm. philanthropy area. And we're very collegiate. We do we do help each other. It's not a very um, male dominated area, but then within you are working reporting to men quite often. So mm. it's um, it's trying to get them to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And also, you're always teaching the CEOs of what philanthropy means. It's not just mm-hmm. meeting budgets. It's not a financial transaction. So yeah. there's, there is that. But as, as women, I think we're well represented in the sector and we support each other really well. Mm-hmm. I think there have been times when it's been a challenge with a young family of, of mm-hmm. keeping that balance, that work-life balance. But I think I was very fortunate to be able to speak up for myself. So mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't an issue. People listened and, and allowed the time and the flexibility. So I, th- I think I've been very fortunate. I think 
again, as women in leadership roles, we need to make sure that we are looking for that in our own staff too and providing that support and flexibility. So it's a legacy. I was lucky, but not everyone was, and it's a really important thing to pass on to the next generation, both male and female, to make sure they have flexibility and support in the workplace. So would you say that keeping the strong foundation is an essential characteristic that has aided your success? Absolutely, and I think it adds to your reputation too. You yeah. know, a, a, a bad reputation travels very quickly, but a, a good reputation just keeps building and if you keep doing the right thing with your staff and with the, your work ethic, then people learn of you and want to work with you and I've been very fortunate in that way. So what would you say aided you to be strong and independent? I think a lot of it comes from your education and from your family support. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a family where there was no difference between males and females. You were just expected to achieve as much as the boys did, and I had three brothers. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that make, that plays a huge role in forming who you are. And I think the other thing is backing yourself and believing in yourself, knowing that you've got the skills to do it and, and then having the confidence to give it a go. I think many women draw back from the leadership roles because they self-doubt and I think you've got to give it a go. If you fail, bounce back and jump in again but you learn from those those disappointments and failures as well but you have to back yourself. Yeah, of course. So through having to juggle the many responsibilities within your job, um, how have you managed to create that work-life balance? Sometimes I haven't, to be honest. Sometimes the hours have been long and the, the family's been neglected. Um, but now I feel very confident there's a much better environment to have that work-life balance. But it is leaving work behind when you go home. It's knowing when the laptop's closed and it's turned off, that's it. For the night or for the weekend, it's really important. It's too easy to drag the hours into your, into your home life and um, you've got to be careful not to do that. So... What is the best piece of advice that maybe was a light bulb moment in your career? Um, I think the best moment is when someone says to you, there's a leadership role coming and why don't you go for it? (laughs) I think that's, it's not really advice, but sort of, it it changes your vision of yourself. You go, really? Do you think, you think I could do that? Um, And uh, when people say to you, yes, you could, uh, it's this validation that's really important. Okay. Looking forward, what are your hopes for the future? To be doing what I'm doing for the next 10 years would be absolutely fabulous. I just think I'm very fortunate. It's a a wonderful moment in my life to be doing the work that I'm doing. I think healthcare in particular is under enormous pressure at the moment. We have staff shortages. We have a crisis point. I just did a tour of the emergency department in ICU yesterday and they're crying out for support. They're desperate. And I can see the opportunity that I have to try and help them get through this. And I just want to make sure that I can do that and help them for the next few years to improve the health system here in Melbourne. Well, okay. So what are you hoping to be able to do to improve the health system? To expose the need to the philanthropic community, to have the opportunity to invite them in to see what is happening in the hospital system. It's too easy for people who are wealthy who go to the private hospitals and who can pay their their, um, health insurance to think that everyone's receiving the same standard of care. I would say here at St Vincent's they receive the same standard of care but not in the same surroundings. The rooms are cluttered, 
the rooms are crowded, the waiting rooms are horrendous. And, you know, we provide the most incredible experiences. We provide full health services to homeless people. We're the only mm-hmm. service in, in Victoria that looks after correctional patients. So they, can, they come straight from prison to us. And you've got 10 beds when you think of how many prisons and prisoners we have here in Victoria, mm. we only have 10 beds here. So I don't think the world knows what's going on in the health system and certainly philanthropists who have the fortunate position to be able to pay their own way don't know mm. what's happening in the public system. And I, th- I think if they knew, they'd help more. So that's my role right from today to open those doors and to get them involved and see what's happening. Do you have any last words of wisdom or advice that you'd like to share with our audience? I think just follow your heart because that will lead you in the right direction and bring the smarts that you've got from a great education and make sure you use them well. You know, you're in a fortunate position and uh, you can change the world. You just have to believe in yourself, support others in the same position. Always be honest, always be authentic um, and at times be audacious. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the She Knows It podcast. We've really enjoyed hearing your insights about philanthropy and thank you for being an inspiration to young women. Thank you. And I hope to see a lot of young women coming into the business. It'd be wonderful. You've been listening to the She Knows It podcast brought to you by Genazano Institute and the Sisterhood of St. Vincent's Foundation. Thank you for listening. 